Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to continue in our series. Only have a couple more weeks here in Genesis. So uh, we're going to cover five chapters today, not Jake's 10 from last week, but it's still a lot to cover in the morning. So Genesis 37, we'll be going through 41. Uh, so go ahead and, and find that. Uh, hopefully you've gotten ready for the holidays or you're getting ready for the holidays. The holidays can bring about a lot of great memories and a lot of bad memories, right? Like the, the fun laughter that, that comes with the holidays, the, you know, the, the memories of your kid getting a, a skateboard and then you attempting the skateboard and then everybody laughing at you as a result of what happened or whatever it may be. You get all those kind of great memories, but um, you get... The happy ones, but the sad ones come as well, right? Uh, man, I wish this person was still with us at the holiday gathering. Um, and you just start thinking through all those kind of things. And it's easy to talk about those, those fun ones, the, the hard ones we don't want to dwell on. But those are the things we're going to talk about this morning. The painful circumstances of life. The suffering in life. Maybe even the suffering caused by someone else's sin. And when those things kind of happen... All these questions begin to be raised, right? Like, what is God up to in the middle of all this? What is God trying to do? And where is he even at? Because sometimes when we go through painful circumstances, it feels like God's not even around. Sometimes when we go, when someone else has sinned against us, we go, man, like, God, what are you trying to do? Because this doesn't feel good. The injustice, the unjust suffering, it doesn't feel right in your plan. Maybe you've been there before, maybe you're there right now. What we're going to take a look at in Genesis is somebody who suffered a lot, who suffered unjustly a lot, who went through really painful times a lot. And what we're going to see is that God was at work throughout this whole process, all right? So we're going to look at the story of Joseph this morning. Many of you know the story of Joseph a little bit, even if you just kind of sort of grew up around the church. You know that story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. We're going to start there this morning, but then we're going to see, uh, we're going to take half of this story that we have in the scripture, and then Jake's going to cover the rest of it next week, but we're going to cover 13 years worth of time in 32 minutes, all right? So we'll, we'll try this. Um, so what is God doing in the midst of our unjust suffering, and where is he at? We're going to, the way we're going to do this this morning is I'm going to give you a quick flyover over multiple chapters, all right? So you just got to hang on for a little while, then we're going to jump back to the story and highlight where God was at through the process, all right? So just hang on for the, the flyover here. Hopefully you can understand the story and it can be clear. I've prayed a lot for clarity, all right? So uh, Genesis 30, 37, we'll start in verses 1 through 4. Jacob, and that's who we talked about last week, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now when you see that in Genesis, that kind of means there's a shift in the narrative. We're talking about somebody different at this point, all right? Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, Israel, remember from last week, Israel and Jacob, they're the same person. God changed his name. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. 
and could not speak peacefully to him. So here's the story of Joseph. Joseph is actually written about more in Genesis than any other person, more than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is a pretty significant story. So what's this whole story about? Why is it included in Genesis is what we're going to get to. So he's 17 years old. He's a shepherd. He's got a lot of brothers, all right? You get 12 tribes of Israel coming from this. So there's, there's a lot of brothers. And his father, Israel, loves him more than all his brothers. Like, he just flat out says it. He was his favorite, all right? None of us like the brother to, or sister to be the favorite, but Joseph was the favorite. And as a result of being the favorite, he was the favorite because he, uh, Israel had him in old age, all right? So he had him in old age, like, man, this is great. He's, this is my favorite. So he gives them this robe, all right? Now, some of you, it says the robe of many colors. That's what we know it as. But you may have a footnote that talks about a, a long sleeve robe, all right? Either one of these means that he was the favored one. Now, if it's a long sleeve robe, that's going to refer to somebody that's going to be an overseer of the household. So his brothers hated him because he was the favorite, and dad had given him something that said, hey, you're going to be the supervisor of all your brothers, right? You know why they hated him at this point, maybe, right? Like, uh, we're not okay with that. We don't like that. So Joseph has this dream and doesn't help the help the situation he has this dream and there's things bowing down to him and he goes to his brothers and I don't think that Joseph is actually being prideful and arrogant because we don't see that show up in any other parts of his life I think he's naive at best and immature for sure and he goes hey brothers let me tell you about this dream I had uh you were all bowing down to me like they already hated him at this point it's not going in a good direction right so at some point, his father, they're all like shepherding the flock and his brothers are out and father sends him out to the flock and he looks for his brothers. He can't find them. Somebody says, hey, they've moved over here. So he's going to them and his brothers see him coming and they go, hey, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Whoa, that escalated quickly, right? Like, you had a dream. We don't like you, but now they're making a plot to kill him. That's what you see in chapter 37, is this plot to kill him. And then one of his brothers, Reuben, says, whoa, 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 guys, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit, all right? That, that's way better, right? We'll throw him into a pit. Well, eventually they're like, oh, one of his other brothers, Judah, decides, why are we just going to throw him into a pit? Why don't we sell him to somebody? We can make, at least make a little profit off the brother, right? So they sell him to some traders, Ishmaelite traders. That's not good. Things are not going good. Here you've got a guy that's part of the chosen family of God that's now been abandoned by his own family. There's great loss. He's going through this, and then his brothers actually take strip his cloak off at that point that coat and they take it home to dad and they've dipped it in animal's blood and dad thinks man my son's my favorite son the favored one that's going to be the overseer of everything he's been devoured by an animal and he mourns and his brothers go on about their lives and you're like what is happening why would god do something like this to a, just a 17 year old boy why would his family treat him that way and he's actually sold again, and he ends up at the end of 37. He's in the house of Potiphar. 
Potiphar buys him a slave. Potiphar's the official, kind of over the officials, over the guard of, of Pharaoh. And so that's where you're at. Then chapter 38 happens. We're going to come back to chapter 38 in a second. It's a weird story, all right? Really weird story. Some of you know it. Some of you are going to start looking there now. Just hold on, all right? We'll get back to there in a second. But and actually the story continues really quickly because it moves away from Joseph. But in 37 to 39, it's like a seamless transition. And why does 38 get thrown in there? We'll come back to it in a second. So um, in the midst of all this, uh, so Joseph... He's gone through this pit. He's been sold into slavery. All this has happened. And he's thrown into, he goes into slavery. He's really successful in Potiphar's household. He's just, God gives him lots of prosperity. In the midst of all that success, Potiphar goes, I'm going to put you in charge of my household. So like something started out really bad. has now turned pretty good. All right. He has lots of success. And then it says, Not only was he successful, but he was handsome. And guess who takes notice of handsome Joseph? Potiphar's wife. Not a good thing, right? Potiphar's wife takes notice of this handsome guy named Joseph that's in her household all the time. So she comes up to him one day and says, lie with me. Not take a nap, guys. All right? So lie with me. Joseph goes, no way. That wickedness is not part of God's plan. I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, she persists day after day after day. Lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. He says, no, no, no. And then one day, what happens is he goes into the household to do his job and all the other workers are out of the household and the only person that is is there is Potiphar's wife. And so she says again, lie with me, but this time she gets a little more aggressive and she grabs his coat. When she grabs his coat... He flees. He runs off and leaves his coat on the floor. And as he's running out, she screams to the top of her lungs. And all the workers come in. And she falsely accuses him of trying to take advantage of her. So now you've got this brother that's been abandoned by jealous brothers. He's experienced the loss of his family. He's been thrown into a pit. He's gone into slavery. God's done some great stuff with him, but now he's being falsely accused. It's like major injustice here, and he's thrown into prison when Potiphar finds out. Like, how, what is God doing in this story? Because this is just this is really hard things. And then in chapter 40, we're introduced to two kind of random characters, it seems. There's a baker and a cupbearer, and it feels like you're just in this fairy tale at this point. Where's the candlestick maker too, right? And so you've got this baker and the cupbearer, and Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. Well, they commit an offense against Pharaoh, so he throws them in prison. Well, guess who they find in prison? Joseph, right? And they have a dream one day. They have, they have these dreams that are really like tormenting them, and they need somebody to help interpret the dream. So they find Joseph, and he interprets the dream, and he goes, hey, one of you, you're going to, like, Pharaoh's going to redeem you. The other one, you're going to die in three days. I'm like, oh, great. I wish I wouldn't have known that, right? So... Like, you're like, where, why Baker, Cupbearer? This is weird right now. So guess what happens? That exact thing that he predicted would happen, happens. And in the midst of it, Joseph says, hey, I'm going to interpret this dream. Will you just remember me one day? Just remember me. Like, don't forget that I'm the one that did this, all right? Not in an arrogant way, but just please don't forget me. Well, guess what? He's forgotten until two years later. So the baker dies, the cupbearer is in the Pharaoh's court. Well, Pharaoh has some dreams. 
Well, there's a lot of dreams here, right? So Pharaoh has this dream, and it's really, it's about skinny cows and fat cows, and the skinny cows are eating the fat cows, and it's just this strange thing, but it's tormenting him. He's like, can anybody interpret this dream for me? What is this about? So nobody could. And then the cupbearer goes, hey, whoa, you know what, Pharaoh? I know this guy. I, when we, you, remember when you threw me in prison? There was a guy there that interpreted my dreams. I bet he can interpret your dreams. So Pharaoh's like, yeah, bring him up. So he cleans him up, comes to Pharaoh. He goes, oh, yeah, I can tell you what that's about. Those, those like fat cows, that's because you're going to have, Egypt's going to have seven years that it's really good. You're going to have plenty of stuff. But then the skinny cows, they're going to eat up the fat cows because the skinny cows are going to represent the famine that's going to happen for seven years. And Joseph makes this plan. Hey, Pharaoh, what I think you need to do is you need to restore, or you need to store up some stuff during the seven years of plenty. And you store that up and keep it as reserves. And then during the seven years of famine, you're going to be taken care of. And Pharaoh's like, man, this guy's awesome. I'm going to bring him in. Not only am I going to take him out of prison, but I'm going to put him second in charge in all of Egypt. You're like, man, that's great. Like the story's turning, right? But remember, what's coming? A famine is coming. And that's, that's the stuff that Joseph is dealing with in these first few chapters here. Loss. Abandonment. Unjust suffering. Natural disaster. And a lot of it caused by sin. The sin of other people. Can anybody relate to that? Our children's ministry is excited this morning. <laughs> you, we all can relate to those kind of things, right? Hard times, pain, physical or emotional. Maybe even pain caused by somebody else's sin. This is the type of pain that, that Joseph is dealing with here. So what is God doing? What is God doing in the midst of all this? Is he, is he doing anything? Or has he just kind of abandoned Joseph? Is he oblivious to it? Is he indifferent to it? What I want to do now is kind of walk back through the story and highlight some verses that show you what God's up to. But first, to figure out what God's up to, we've got to know, remember the bigger story that's happening. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, right? And when they sin, God says, there's some consequences to your sin, but I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to promise you an offspring or a seed, Eve, that's going to be the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent, that's going to be the redeemer of this sinful mess that you've just made, all right? So he's protecting this protecting this seed this whole time. And then in Genesis 12, he comes to this guy named Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to bless your family. You're going to have a son, or you're going to have, you're going to have some offspring, and your family's going to become a great nation. He's like, uh, I don't even have kids right now. Like, th- my family's going to become that? And God goes, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. So what we have going on through this whole story of Genesis here is this seed, this promised seed, this promised family, this promised blessing to the whole world. This is what we're going to see happening is God protecting this plan all throughout Joseph's life. 
All right? So the first thing that's the threat to this is, oh, is the family not going to survive? Is Joseph and his family not going to survive? There's going to be a famine, right? But he's protected Abraham. He's protected Isaac. He's protected Jacob. How's he going to, how's he going to, Make sure his plan survives in the midst of a famine that's not only going to affect Egypt, but it's going to affect the whole earth. But God, in the midst of all this pain and suffering, he spares Joseph, despite the conflict, the violence, and the famine. And all his sovereignty, God seems to be working out something bigger than just Joseph's circumstances. And then in the end of verse chapter 41, verses 56 and 57, it says, So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. You know what is happening here? It's just a small glimpse of this family being a blessing to the whole earth. This promise, right? Now, this is not the full promise. There's a bigger plan of redemption. But what you see is, oh, it's not just Egypt that's suffering right now, but it's the whole earth. But now they are all coming to Egypt because Joseph has had this wise plan to store up stuff. And they're like, Egypt's got stuff. We don't have anything in the midst of this famine. So God's protecting this family and God's protecting this blessing. His promises in the midst of all this suffering and pain, right? And then he's protecting the seed from Eve. And that's what we see that in chapter 38, which I skipped over. You're like, whoa, there's been a lot, and there's a whole other story, and this story is crazy, all right? So chapter 38, we're not going to cover this whole chapter this morning, all right? Not because we're trying to skip over it, but it just feels a little, a little bit different, even though God's using it in this place for a reason. We're going to record a podcast on this tomorrow that will come out this week that will all be about chapter um, 38, okay, so we're not just trying to skip over it. Some of you are like, oh, you don't want to cover the hard text, right? Because there's, there's a lot of people dying. There is um, people not obeying the Lord. There is a father sleeping with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute. She's not a prostitute. She gets pregnant, okay? So you're like, oh, that kind of story, right? <laughs> so there's a lot going on in this story, but it's the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah's the father-in-law. Judah's one of Joseph's brothers, Tamar was the the daughter-in-law who had multiple, had a husband die, and the second person that was going to carry on this seed decided, no, I'm not going to do that. So God kills him too. And you're like, how is this promised seed going to continue? And it ends up, Judah thinks his daughter-in-law is a prostitute when she's not, because she was covered up with different clothes. And... In the midst of all this, she gets pregnant, and she has two twins, and the promised seed is going to come through this, because in Matthew chapter 1, it's the, you may have started that in the Bible reading plan today, let me read what Matthew 1, 1 through 3 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, so we're just taking the, the history and heritage of, of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, or Israel, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. So who is in the line of Jesus? Tamar, the one that had been abused by her father-in-law. 
there was injustice that happened that had a husband die. Tamar is in the line of Jesus. This is God at work in all this, not just protecting a family, not just protecting his blessing, but now protecting the promised seed in the midst of sinful circumstances, guys. Like, we might look at that and go, that's terrible. And I didn't even tell you that at one point when Judah finds out that Tamar's pregnant and didn't know it was his, he goes, hey, let's burn her. Like we go, let's just fix our circumstances. And God's going, hey, I'm doing something bigger. I'm doing something way bigger. You can't see it. But I'm protecting my seed, my family, my promised blessing. That's what I'm doing right now. Guys, in the midst of pain, in the midst of even pain that's caused by other people's sin, God is at work. God is doing something way bigger And even though he's protecting his plan, that doesn't mean, if you're part of protecting the plan, that doesn't mean your life will be a life of ease and safety. God's plan goes beyond your bad spouse. God's plan goes beyond your wayward child. God's plan goes beyond your work situation that may be unjust. God's plan goes beyond your health. I'm trying to minimize your pain. A lot of you have extremely legitimate pain in this room this morning. But I want to see that God's trying to do something bigger in the midst of that. He has a purpose for you. As long as you're here on this earth, He's not finished using you to accomplish His plan and His purposes. He may even use somebody's death to accomplish His purposes, right? Now, I've met many people over the course of four years here at Veritas. And several of them, I said, how'd you end up at Veritas? I've had multiple people say, oh, Jake preached at my friend's funeral. And now I've become a believer. I'm going to try this. It, it, it worked at eight. I don't know if it'll work here, all right? How many of you would say that you trusted in Christ? You became a believer as a result of your own suffering or somebody else's suffering? Would you raise your hand? Keep your hand up for a second. I just want you to look around the room, guys. Does God use painful circumstances for his redemptive plan? You got a bunch of evidence sitting in this room right now. Guys, that's amazing. We can look at the story of Joseph and go, yeah, God was working this plan out. But you can look at the story of these people around you and go, whoa, God was working something out. His redemptive plan. God was doing something bigger than our painful circumstances. Something bigger than that. But it begs the question, okay, I get God, you're doing your thing over there, but do you care about my situation? You get where I'm coming from? Okay, God, I know you got your plan. You're doing your thing over here. But do you actually care about what I'm going through? I want to show you over and over in this story where God was in the midst of a hard circumstance. In the midst of a hard circumstance. Like, remember, Joseph's being tempted by Potiphar's wife and he's pursuing Righteousness, he's doing the right thing in the midst of it being hard. After he's had this loss and he's been sold twice and he's being taken away, check out what chapter 39, verses 2 and 3 say. 
This is literally coming off the hills of his brothers getting rid of him. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. In the midst of loss and abandonment. Where was the Lord? With Joseph. With Joseph. And then he, there's major injustice. Potiphar's wife slanders him, accuses, falsely accuses him of something. He gets thrown into prison. And then in verses 21 through 23 of 39, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Was the Lord with Joseph in the midst of injustice? Absolutely. The Lord was with Joseph. And then if we go over to chapter 41, verses 37 through 39. This is right after Joseph has made this proposal. Hey, Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to store up the reserves for these seven years of famine that are coming. It says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Where is the Spirit of God? It's in Joseph in the midst of... He was just coming out of prison. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you this, like Pharaoh, a pagan king, even recognizes that God was with Joseph. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. The Spirit of God is in Joseph, working in the midst of these painful circumstances. And then detail that I skipped earlier was that Joseph, near the end of this, has two kids. And he names his kids, and I want you to see how he names his kids in verse chapter 41. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my infliction. He names his kids as a result of where God was in the midst of the affliction, right? Joseph recognizes, oh, in the midst of all this hardship, even caused by other people's sin, God was with me. And I want to remember it forever, and I'm going to name my kids so I do remember it forever. Do you see the presence of God? Had he abandoned Joseph? No. Did it probably feel like he had at some points? Maybe. And even in the midst of him pursuing righteousness, he gets thrown into prison. But he's faithful. Joseph continues to be faithful over and over. And instead of running from the hard circumstances or running from God, Joseph continues to be faithful. In Potiphar's house, in prison, and for Pharaoh. How do you respond to your circumstances when they get really tough? Do you just get frustrated or do you continue to be faithful? Do you complain or do you find contentment in the fact that God's doing something bigger 
and God is with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not indifferent. He's not unloving. God's with you. God is with you. And that's what I want you to know this morning. In your pain, God is still with you and working out his redemptive plan. In your pain, God is still with you and working out his redemptive plan. In suffering, even caused by other people's sin, God is present and he's at work. But yet when painful circumstances come into our lives, we just tend to zoom in right on our circumstances, don't we? Oh, this is all I can see. I'm so frustrated. I'm just complaining. I just want to leave it. I just want to run away from it. And God's going, and there may be a need to run away in some situations, all right? But in all the situations, you got to go, God hasn't abandoned me. God hasn't left me. And God's doing something so much bigger. We've got to zoom out from our circumstances and say, Oh, I see the bigger picture of what's going on. Guys, and that's hard. But that's why we get the story of Joseph as a reminder that that's how our God works. But guys, the story of Joseph isn't just the story of him. It is the story of God, right? It's the story of God's faithfulness, his plan, his protection of his plan, even when life gets hard. All throughout Genesis, what have we found? This is the story about God. It's not the story of Abraham. It's not the story of Isaac or Jacob or Joseph. It's the story of God. Despite disobedience and murder and wickedness and pride and infertility and old age and abandonment and lies and deceit and loss and injustice and natural disasters, God is God. God is at work and God is with his people. He's with you. He's doing something bigger. But the temptation is for us to just zoom in and go, oh, where else do I need to look for? Remember, Moses is writing this. He's writing it to the wandering Israelites who have been wandering for a long time. They're hopeful to go into the promised land at some day, but it's hard. And they've already seen that there's a promise that there's 400 years of slavery that was going to happen. And now they know that they're coming out of that. And it's been really difficult. And he's saying, hey, I want you to look to Joseph. Remember Joseph. But I'm sure it was easy to look for other things. And for us, we need to look to Joseph. That's why this is included, because God's at work. But look to Joseph and remember that God's at work. Remember that God's present. But we look to family first. We look to our connection group leader first. We look to escape from the circumstances. We go to Netflix. We go to YouTube. We run away and just do a hobby. And we look to a lot of other things when we zoom in on our circumstances and God's going, you got to see something bigger than this, guys. Something better than all those temporary things have to offer. So for the suffering Israelites, look to Joseph. But that's not the end. There's something greater to come. And I would say for suffering Veritasites this morning, whatever painful circumstance you're going through, whatever ever sinful circumstance that might be happening around you, I want you to look to a greater Joseph. Look to a greater Joseph. Let me tell you about a greater Joseph. He was given favor by the Father. He was promised to rule and reign. He was sent to the world by his Father. His brothers didn't receive him. He didn't grasp for that promise, rule and reign. He was tempted. He resisted temptation. He was falsely accused and taken into custody. He was stripped of his clothes. He was brought out of the pit and into the power. And his name is Jesus. 
That's a greater Joseph, guys. Whatever circumstance that you're going through, you cannot simply look to that circumstances, circumstance and the things of this world. You've got to look to a greater Joseph, and his name is Jesus. Was God with his own son when he came to this earth? Absolutely. Did God send him there? Jake will get more into that kind of sovereignty next week, right? But did God love his son? Of course he did. Was God indifferent to suffering? No. Was it painful for his son? Absolutely. Was God working out a bigger redemptive plan through Jesus? Yes, and that's why we're all sitting in this room today. God works out. God's doing bigger things than we can ever imagine. And he's working out his redemptive plan, and he's with us in the midst of it. So Veritas says, we remember Jesus. Let's worship at all times, in prosperity and in pain. Veritas people aren't painless people. Amen? I I look around this room, I know there's a lot of pain. We're not painless people, but we're faithful worshipers in the midst of pain. That's what God is calling us to. And I'm not trying to minimize your pain today, guys. But I do want us to maximize God's praise in the midst of that pain. Many of you said that you came to the worship night last Tuesday. If you were there, it was a, it was a wonderful night. As I look back over four years of, of ministry, which is not a long time, but last Tuesday night's worship night will be one of those things that I remember, one of those moments that I remember for a long time. It was really loud with you guys singing praises to the Lord, like louder than the band. You're like, how's that possible, right? <laughs> Louder than the band. My question for us. If you get cancer, will you still worship at the same volume? If somebody close to you dies before you thought they should die, will you still worship? If you experience loss as a result of somebody else's sin, will you still worship? If you're falsely accused, will you still worship? If you experience injustice, will you still worship the same way you worshiped last Tuesday night? The only way to be that kind of people is to look to Jesus as a reminder that God is doing something bigger. And he has not abandoned you. That's the only way to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for that story. Thanks for the reminders that we get of that story. God, thank you for the story of Judah and Tamar. God, in all those situations, Father, those are awful circumstances. And Lord, I know there are people in this room that are experiencing awful circumstances maybe even caused by other people's sin God turn our attention to Jesus this morning thank you that he is a greater Joseph 
Please put our eyes on Jesus. Lift our eyes off the things of this world. Put it on eternal things where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.